and we are live from the empire of lies is a free speech zone an oasis of truth and bringing you the truth behind the headlines i'm investigative journalist lee stranahan and this is the backstory and our producer rod from philly has put together another great show for you first off in the first hour Mark Sabota will be joining us in about 12 minutes from Moscow. And we love having Mark on. And you know one of the reasons we love having Mark on, Rod? Tell us. He knows how to pronounce things. They're Russian. Right? And I was talking yesterday about the mayor of Mariupol and the oligarch who's sponsoring him. And I'll bet he knows how to pronounce his name. Mark's pretty good for an American who was raised in America, but he's in Moscow now. He does pretty good with the Russian words, does he not? Oh, you yeah, know, for, for sure. And I, I'm, I'm almost, I'll say 99% sure he knows exactly who you're talking about. Yes. And and I'll, I'm just going to throw it at him, and I'll bet he knows a bunch of stuff. That's in the first hour. Then the second hour, from the People's Republic of California, Congressional candidate Allison Hayden. We've had her on the show before, great guest. And did you see the Ohio election results? I did, and uh, Trump still got still got some weight out here. And you know, even though people want him to go away, he still he still got carries a lot of weight around here. Well, I'm curious about how much weight he carries. You're talking about JD, right? Correct, J.D. Vance. Yeah, J.D. Vance, who won. But he also had a lot of money from Peter Thiel. And there's a lot of hate towards Peter Thiel. We'll talk about that and other subjects. And we'll take your calls, 202-521-1320. On Essential Listening in These Times, The Backstory. Now, Rod, I often sing your praises on the show, do I not? From time to time, yeah. Thank I say what a great job point. you do, but but I'm going to be critical. Now, Rod, try to take this constructively. You have let us down entirely on the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. You booked nothing. Would you agree? Well, I tried to get Elon Musk on to talk about it, but he didn't want to. He didn't want to come on. So, no, that's good. I was hoping to get Johnny Depp on. Now, now this, I, I'm, I'm mentioning this. Of course, I'm joking. Uh, but there's a lot of people are watching this thing, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, and there are the details about her pooping in his bed. For instance, you saw that, right? Yeah, unfortunately, I came across that on Twitter. Now, what do you mean you came across that? That could be taken more than one way. Uh, well, because I, you know, I, I wasn't really following. I haven't really been following the trial. I just seen little snippets on on Twitter, and then I saw a picture of uh, uh, feces on a bed, and they said supposedly it came from a dog, from a little five-pound dog, and I was like, well, the, you know, that's bigger than the dog, so I don't believe that. Yeah. They have Yorkies, and I've owned Yorkies before. When uh, 
when my my wife split town, headed out of Virginia, she took the kids and left the dog. So I was an orphaned Yorkie. I was taking care of, and they're small dogs. And uh, but that was and and she said it was a practical joke. You saw that. She said pooping in the bed was a practical joke gone wrong. Yeah, no, nah, you no, nah, that's 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 it. <laughs> Girl poops in your bed. I'm sorry. That's it. Yeah, a practical joke might be if you put a piece of that fake poop. You know, you've seen that plastic poop. It looks like poop, but that would be a good practical joke because you didn't actually put poop in the bed, but a piece of plastic. This is not a practical joke. And I'll tell you who's, if, if anyone cares about the Amber Heard Johnny Depp thing, Russell Brand has a good take on this. And he's talked about why we are, as a culture, obsessed with this story. Because we are somewhat obsessed with it. Now, the other celebrity thing that happened last night is Dave Chappelle was attacked by a guy with a knife on stage. You saw that, Rod, right? Yeah, I woke up to that. That was pretty crazy. That was pretty crazy for him. Like, the guy tackled him. He was like a good five-yard head start and he tried to tackle him. And uh, I could immediately tell that it wasn't a white guy who did it as far as I can tell, because the story didn't mention it. If if he'd been attacked by a white guy with a knife, that would have been the headline. Do you agree? Yeah, no, if he was if he was white attacking Dave Chappelle, it'd be a bigger story. That's right. true. Particularly if he had a MAGA hat or something like that, or knew someone that had a MAGA hat, or had said MAGA at any point, it would have been a bigger story. But it's still a big story. And I've got to say, is open season on comics between the Crush Rock incident and now Chappelle getting attacked. And that was bizarre because he was at the Hollywood Bowl. He was on stage. And first off, there's questions about how the guy got in past security. And apparently the knife was like taped to a gun. I, I didn't understand that. He had a fake gun, and how he got past security is still bizarre, but it's high season on on comedians, and uh, it's just a weird story. I don't have much to say on that, but it's weird. Right, Ron? Uh, I would say be careful who you run up on stage on because some of these comedians uh you know they might be funny but they come from a real life background and uh they might not be you know i, I thought dave you know dave's been training he's a big boxing fan i thought he would have just stepped to the side and gave him a check hook or something that would have been viral but for some reason he just let this guy tackle him so i was kind of disappointed in that so you're saying you want comedians who kick ass on stage more right <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, Charlie Murphy, Eddie Murphy's uh, brother. He, you know, he was one of those comedians who, you know, you know, I'm a funny guy, but be careful what you say to me and how you, you know, how you approach me. So, you know, Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock, I guess people see them as safe, but uh, other comedians, you know, just because they're funny, don't mean you can just approach them like that. So, what should have Chris Rock done to Will Smith? What move would you suggest there? 
personally, uh, you know, even if you're my friend, you feel disrespectful and you come and hit me like that in public, you know, my, my uh, immediate reaction would have been to hit you back, you know what I mean? So, but Chris Rock kind of just joked it off. So he's kind of, uh, in, a, in a way, uh, made it acceptable, you know? Now, what mixed martial art move would you have used on someone who poops on your bed, in your bed? I'm just asking, in case it comes up. <laughs> I would have, uh, I would have grabbed all their clothes and put it in, all their clothes in a chokehold and threw it out the window and said, "Okay, now you go get your clothes and keep it moving." Or I would have left. However, the situation goes, because that's, yeah, you don't cross that line. That's not funny. I have a theory, and again, Russell Brand, Rushy Rockets on Twitter, Russell Brand, the comedian, and he's got a large YouTube following. I really like Russell Brand, and he's had a good take on this, talking about the way people are perceiving it. And he's admitting that he's watching it, but he's saying, you know, you're watching people's tragedy. I will say this, and I have not heard him say it, but one thing that Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial does is it makes anybody who's been through a breakup feel pretty good about their breakup. I feel better about my divorce because I go, well, at least there's no poop on the bed. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, that's a that's a new low in the standard, but you know, yeah, that's that's one I've never heard. So, you know, that you just don't cross that line. I, I don't think you know. Same thing with toothbrushes and stuff like that, or doing any type of crazy stuff. Also, she was uh, surreptitiously videotaping him while he was drunk and being up his cabinets. Did you see that one? Uh, yeah, I saw, I saw that. I saw that on my timeline again. I don't go looking for it, but it comes across my timeline, and that's kind of that's kind of weird too. Like, you know, uh, why why are you keeping these for? Like, what are you keeping this for? Right. Well, it's obvious because she was calling the Inquirer and other places and reporting it, and I, I consider that disloyal behavior in a relationship. I don't know. Call me wacky, but and and Johnny Depp seems sort of normal I'll put it like this how would you compare the level of screwed up of Johnny Depp to Hunter Biden from what you've seen who's more screwed up oh no Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden takes the cake on that one no right exactly Amber Heard by the way Hunter's probably available you can probably get some of that but uh I think for a lot of people who've been through breakups, it does make you feel better about your breakup. And and Russell Brand has pointed this out. The other thing you see is that people can have all the fame, all the money in the world, and they've still got regular problems. Although the poop in the bed is an extra regular problem or irregular. I'm not going to get into details. But... You see that people can have any amount of money, any amount of fame, and still have problems that a lot of us can relate to, except for the poop in the bed part. You know what I'm saying? Oh no, for sure. You know, uh, a lot of people want to attain fame, especially nowadays they want to attain the fame. And uh, before it was money, people wanted the money or both and it doesn't it doesn't uh, cure all your problems you know uh, being famous doesn't cure your problems and having all the money in the world doesn't uh, cure your problems either now we're on day two speaking of problems and I was gonna 
put this through as a clip, but it'd be hard to listen to. I may do it for tomorrow. Did you see, first off, two examples of this? Elizabeth Warren out haranguing her supporters, out yelling. She's very angry. Rod, did you see that? <laughs> yeah, I did see that. I did see that. Now, then Anna, Anna Kasparian from the Young Turks, did you see her freak out? No, I missed that one. I missed that one. Okay. She was, she's literally screaming, and Sink is, is there, and he's in trouble because there's a girl next to him who's his co-host yelling about something, and she's really yelling. She's very emotional about it. And he's like, well, thank you for showing that passion, Anna. Because wh what can he say? She's passing out. But it was an right, Elizabeth, right. It was a Elizabeth Warren level of spaziness. But right at the desk next to him. So it was very interesting. Now, when we come back from the break, Mark Sloboda will be with us from Moscow. Great guest. This is a place to be every day to find out what's really going on in the Ukraine-Russia war. Fighting American propaganda every day in a free speech zone. This is the backstory. We're back and on 105.5 FM, AM 1390 in Washington, D.C. This is the backstory. Joining us now, one of our favorite guests, straight out of Moscow, geopolitical analyst Mark Soboda. Welcome, Mark. Lee, thanks for having me. It's always an honor and a pleasure to be on the backstory. Now, Mark, I mentioned yesterday about the mayor of Mariupol. And I've been seeing a lot of stories in the mainstream media here, the Western media, uh, referencing the mayor of Mariupol. And he was talking about Russian atrocities. And, and I know about Mariupol from before the war. And everything I'm seeing in Patrick Lancaster's videos, and I had a journalist on last week who'd been in Mariupol, it's all citizens talking about how they're being attacked and basically held hostage by the Ukrainians. And they're afraid Russia will leave because they're afraid what the Ukrainians will do to them. So this is weird to me. But, but I kept saying, the mayor of Mariupol, the mayor of Mariupol. And then I thought about it. I'm like, what's the mayor of Mariupol? He's not representing the views of his citizens at least some of them. And I found it bizarre. Then I started to look into him. Now, do you know who this guy is? I do, but why don't you tell me again? Well, so, so I, the thing that was interesting was that someone told me online, and it seems to check out, that the catacombs where a lot of the Azov Battalion, the, the, the final bit of the Azov Battalion, who's left, is is in this uh, steel mine, sort of. And that's Azov apparently owned by a factory, yes. Right, right. 
And that's owned by a Ukrainian oligarch, right? Mm-hmm. And he the apparently man in Ukraine, yes, yes, right. And he apparently sponsored the mayor. He is his patron and financed him. That's what I'd love to understand. And his name I can't pronounce, so forget about it. But you, you know, you're a smart guy. You know how to pronounce it, don't you? Uh, who, are you talking the mayor or the oligarch? The oligarch. Yeah, Akhmetov. Okay, who's the, who's the guy? Akhmetov. Right. Now, when I looked him up, I found that he's a blast from the past. He was a guy that Paul Manafort was supposedly getting the polling data through to in the election. They're saying that was a big scandal. Is that Manafort had snake polling data, and at the time, that guy was described basically as Putin's best buddy, right? Yeah. Now it seems to yeah, me that, it couldn't Putin, be further from the truth, but yeah. <laughs> right, right. It seems to me that everybody had forgotten about that. About they used him to accuse Manafort of election interference, and. I don't think if you're Putin's best buddy, you're going to falsely accuse Russia of war atrocities and not talk about what's going on with Ukraine. So what's the real deal here, Mark, as much as you know? Yeah. Uh, I, OK, so, I mean, Akhmetov is, is one of the oligarchs who, who backed the Maidan and he uh, backed some of the battalions. And he was primarily concerned about his own business interests in East Ukraine and that they were were protected. And and, you know, uh, as the oligarchs, I mean, Ukrainian politics has been dominated by the oligarchs since independence in 1992, and they're continued to be dominated by them. Uh, they continue to control the media and back the primary candidates. Uh, another oligarch, Igor Kolomoisky, is uh, Zelensky's patron. Uh, but, um, you know, Akhmetov, of course, was primarily concerned with all of this, with his investment in the Azovstal steel plant, which is a big, huge, sprawling complex. And the reason why uh, the uh, Azov neo-Nazi death squad has uh, uh, you know is still holding out there is because there is it's a pretty big complex first of all it's several kilometers in size uh, it's surrounded uh, by water on three sides and underneath the complex is an extensive series of tunnels and cold, hardened Cold War II era nuclear proof bunkers right uh, for for an, an event of of a nuclear war uh, so it's a and there is supposedly that network of tunnels connects at various points throughout the city as well. Um, so it would be really hard to neutralize any force uh, that took up position in those tunnels because you nullify all of the advantages that say you know a, a, an opponent with with a more sophisticated military, more troops, anything might have in this situation. Uh, so that is why the Russian president said, "Don't bother. Uh, it's not worth losing people down there. We'll just starve them out." But I mean, he didn't say that, but that's 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 the idea that they've got to be running low on not just on ammo but food and water. And when they want to come out, they'll come out. 
it's not worth uh, risking the lives sending them down there. As for the mayor of Mariupol, well, he's not really the mayor of Mariupol anymore. He's not in Mariupol. Uh, he was, you know, he's uh, a, a creature of the regime in Kiev. And it's important to remember that Mariupol in 2014 went with the rest of went with Donetsk and Lugansk, right? They were it's part of the Don of the Donetsk region. Um, and uh, in order to get Mariupol under control, they brought in Azov, right? This state-armed and state-funded, literal, undeniable neo-Nazi death squad, whose whose founder, who is now a member of the Kiev regime Rada, their parliament, he said that the national idea of Ukraine, which Azov is there to implement, is to lead the crusade for the white race. I mean, that's... (laughs) You you can't get around that, right? And I've never heard uh, Azov ever since, uh, you know, say, oh, we don't believe that anymore, right? It's always just they're geopolitically useful neo-Nazis, so they're considered kosher. Um, th- anyway, um, this uh, mayor, he's not really the mayor of anything anymore. Um, and he w- has been an apologist to keep Azov there. And Azov was directed to set up their national headquarters in Mariupol to keep the jackboot, their jackboot, a literal neo-Nazi jackboot, on the throat of the people there. And the vast majority, I mean, not all of them, this is always the case in a civil conflict like what's going on in Ukraine, the vast majority of them, uh, you know, they don't like Azov. They don't like the regime in Kiev. They, you know, they're with the rest of the people of Donbass. And there's a very, also a very high um, Greek Ukrainian community there um, that is a, a result of, of history. And uh, if you see, if you read in the, the Greek press, you know, the, of course, they're talking to, you know, their, their fellow Greeks back in Greece. Um, they're saying, you know, what these neo-Nazis have been doing to them. They're using them as human shields, shelling buildings themselves, you know, that, that they took over the city and they can, committed a massacre when they did so. Um, so there's no love lost there. And um, uh, when several hundred people were gotten out of Azovstal uh, in the past couple of days, uh, they were uh, they got out through a humanitarian corridor that was arranged by Russia. They'd been been arranging one for several days. Azov finally let people out because I imagine food and water is running low, and their utility as human shields is is losing its advantage. And a, uh, some of them went to the Kiev regime side of the line and others chose to go to Russia because there is a difference opinion. This is a civil conflict that Russia is intervening in. It's important to remember that there are Ukrainians on both sides of this conflict. There are tens of thousands of Ukrainians fighting against the US backed Kiev regime. They have been fighting against it since it first illegally and violently seized power in 2014. Um, and, uh, you know, that's why I don't like to refer to it as the Ukrainians, right? It's that there, there are Ukrainians, there are Ukrainians on both sides of this conflict. Uh, and that is why Russia does not view themselves at war with Ukraine. And it's absolutely absurd propaganda to say that it's some type of genocide or something like that, because there are lots of Ukrainians fighting on the Russian side. Or it should be better to be said that Russia is fighting on the eastern Ukrainian side of this conflict. So people can tell if they see an article that quotes the mayor of Mariupol, is propaganda. That is pro-Ukrainian automatically, propaganda. Automatically, 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 yes. 
Right. And to the average American who knows nothing about nothing, that sounds decent, like the mayor. But you point out he split town. The mayor, supposedly, he left as soon as the Russian military action started. I led you to understand. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So he's got a propaganda purpose, but watch out for that, everyone. Now, let's talk about uh, recent events. So I don't know if you've heard in the Western media, but apparently Russia's losing. And this is the BS that the American press and the British press have been foisting on the American people and the British for so long that Russia is by no means there because they're taking their time, right? They're saying that they're losing and that Putin's timetable didn't work out. But Russia is clearly and firmly in command of the situation. And there's no way you could say Ukraine is winning, is there? No, I mean, it's a tough fight. And and I would say that the forces of the Kiev regime are putting up good resistance, right? I mean, they have conscripted every single male in the country between 16 and 60 years old, right? People were having to bribe to try to get out of the country, bribing thousands of dollars to get out of the country, actually. Um, so they didn't have to, you know, uh, they wouldn't have to be conscripted. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, this... Uh, the the core of this military force, uh, you know, the the conscripts aside, um, and it is a, a con- majority conscript army, but the core of it has been armed and trained and funded by NATO for eight years, right? Supposedly to NATO standards, and they're putting up a a, a good resistance. There's no question there. But at the same time, um, Russia has been fighting effectively with one hand tied behind their back and the other hand in kid gloves. Even the uh, the Center for European Analysis, SIPA, no friend to the Kremlin, uh, have put a report out last week where they note that Russia is hampered because they're still fighting under peacetime constraints, i.e. they are deliberately trying to limit the amount of infrastructure and collateral damage to civilians that they do in the country to such an effect that it's, it's uh, you know, uh, limiting, uh, you know, the effectiveness of of their, uh, you know, military intervention. Um, and uh, that, you know, th- that leads us to where we are now. Now, you know, Mark, in interpreting the media, Another thing that I've been seeing lately is a story that Zelensky and the Ukrainians are saying, they're, they're saying this now in the past couple of days, they're saying Russia has to give up the Crimea. Yeah. They have to okay. not lay claim anymore. Right? No, that's correct. Zelensky's saying that's their new position. They have to yeah. give up the Crimea yeah. and the Donbass. Yeah. They're they're effectively no. saying they're they're saying they have no interest in peace negotiations. They will fight this to the end. Now that's how I interpret it. I was going to ask you that. I interpret that as the Ukrainians saying we're not negotiating. Yeah, because yeah. there's I mean, no it's, possible it's, way Russia is going to agree absurd. with that. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it, it wouldn't make any difference if Russia did. The people of Crimea wouldn't accept it. My wife is Crimean, right? I mean, I I, I know very well. Uh, the, the people on a percentage basis, the people of Crimea are more patriotically uh, inclined than the citizenry of Moscow, which is actually the most liberal city in the country, uh, you know, because it's a, a big city of wealth. I mean, which is like saying like 20 percent, but it's still uh, the most liberal city in the country. And the people in Crimea like to joke, referring to the idea that they were annexed rather than their government in Ukraine was overthrown and they decided to get out of Dodge and took advantage and voted in a referendum to, to get out of the madhouse. Um, they they like to joke that uh, they did they weren't annexed by Moscow, they annexed Moscow. <laughs> right, and 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 it's absurd. And obviously, now at one point Ukraine seemed to be open. This is new. At one point, they seemed to be open to negotiation, and they seemed to be headed in that direction. Then Blinken and Austin went over there. So it's pretty obvious what happened. Ukraine yeah, I mean, has been talked. Go go ahead, Mark. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the the shots are being called from Washington now. I mean, and with Biden promising to deliver thirty three billion dollars just between now and September, on top of the uh, uh, three billion that Biden already spent just this year previous to that, and the billions that he spent in years up till now. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a stiff cost to the U S taxpayer. It has to be said $33 billion is worth more than double the budget of the department of the interior, right? It's, it's half of the budget of the state department for an entire year. And this is what he's running the war in Ukraine on. And the, between the economic war of sanctions and flooding the country with Western arms at a substantial of course, rate of profit from the U.S. military-industrial complex, um, you know, that is just, you know, uh, their stock is is soaring uh, through all of this. Um, you know, they they are saying that we will fight this war till the last Ukrainian conscript. We will fight Russia uh, as as long as we can. We will bleed them as much as possible, and it won't change the the end outcome of the conflict. But it is certainly making it last longer and thus causing more uh, casualties, uh, not only in terms of the military on both sides, of course, but uh, civilian casualties to Ukrainians and, and some Russians as well. And, and why won't it make a difference? Why won't $33 billion in weapons? And the, it seems to me <laughs> like the, the weapons that are coming from the UK – and France and so on, it seems rather haphazard, the weapons they're sending over, and that it's not anything that's going to turn the war around for Ukraine yeah. and put them in a superior position. Why is that, yeah. Mark? Well, okay, well, first of all, the, the majority of what they sent so far is these uh, mostly handheld anti-tank and anti-aircraft uh, manpads uh, systems um, that, you know, are, are useful from, 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 from that perspective. Again, not something that would change the course of the conflict because they don't allow you to, to uh, take back territory, lead offensives, anything like that. But uh, they're extremely useful as uh, you know, uh, infantry defense and uh, in, the, in the case, more importantly, for an insurgency, right? That, that, that's the type of, of conflict that, that, that 
supports there. Now, the U.S., the West has started to send – first, they sent uh, old Soviet equipment from the war, former Warsaw Pact countries. And that was useful to the Ukrainian uh, – the, the Kiev regime military forces because they, they knew how to use it. They could repair it. They had parts for it. They had logistics. But that's already all gone, right? Uh, that, that, <laughs> whatever they sent there, it's already all gone. Um, uh, because, uh, you know, uh, the, the scale of the and rate of the conflict. Now the U.S. is sending their own heavy artillery. Uh, the, uh, the Germans are sending uh, some of their own armored vehicles, supposedly some tanks as well, artillery. Uh, you know, we're seeing this across the line from, from NATO countries. But uh, the Kiev regime forces, they're not trained on this equipment. So first of all, it, it's not something you can just jump onto. Right. It's significantly different from from existing systems they were using. They have to be trained on it. They ha they can only re rely on the ammo that they've sent for it. They don't know how to repair it and maintain it. Right. They don't have the uh, the, the parts uh, networks and, and logistics worked out for it. And they can't even get it to the conflict. I mean, this is coming in from Poland right into Western Ukraine. And Russia is. Uh, you know, the majority of the conflict is in the east. That's where the majority of the Kiev regime's military is hunkered down on the outskirts of the Donbass administrative region in this uh, triangle region between uh, Kramatorsk, Slavyansk, and Severodonetsk in fortified positions that they've built up for eight years. Um, this is, uh, you know, that's where the conflict is. And Russia has now begun uh, bombing uh, the uh, train networks, uh, uh, electrical subway stations, uh, substations that power the trains uh, to stop the transfer of equipment, because that's how the majority of it would get there. So first of all, they're going to have problems getting it there. They're going to have problems using it. And, and Russia is right there. And Russia has, you know, a really substantial conventional military force. What they're putting into the fight is not enough to change the course of that, uh, certainly on troops that don't know how to use it and in the numbers, right? They may send, you know, 100 pieces of artillery. Russia, the Russian, uh, their own artillery and their air force is destroying 100 pieces of Ukrainian artillery a day. A day, right? <laughs> this is uh, – it's, it's not going to change. This is uh, – you know, it can make it last longer. Um, and it is wonderful for domestic arms manufacturers, and it serves the outrage of doing something. But at the end of the day, it is actually only pushing both sides. It's it's they're pushing uh, the uh, Zelensky regime to continue the war, and which is is pushing Russia to expand the scope of the war because now they're making political negotiations not an option. So. It has to go further. Then it uh, and if the Kiev regime doesn't agree to Russians' political demands, that doesn't mean they're just going to give up. It means that they're going to go further. That they are going to partition or balkanize more of Ukraine rather than less as a result of it, because they will have to to accomplish the military goals that they've set for it. And ultimately, then it may have to end in regime change. And they also seem to be having some problems with the NATO cohesion. I'm, I'm talking about the head of Croatia said he would veto, he's a NATO member, he would veto Finland joining NATO, correct? And Germany, yeah. mm -hmm. I, I understand, 
ordered the Ukrainian ambassador out. Now, Germany's been weird in this conflict because they show signs of independence one day, and then the next day they show that they're a puppet state for the United States. But what do you think of those moves? What's going on? Okay, the Croatian thing is probably not a long-term thing because that is related to what the Croatian government wants from uh, the EU states and and NATO with regards to the situation in Bosnia Herzegovina where there are ethnic Croats, and so that is that is more a a a statement of demanding political leverage uh, on other completely unrelated issues and i'm sure they're they're, they're going to back away from that. Uh, Finland and Sweden are going to join NATO. I don't I don't have any doubt about that. But there is some division in NATO on on the conflict in Ukraine, right? As as as, as not only with EU sanctions, uh but uh, also with you know how NATO how uh NATO to what extent the organization as a whole is is involved in the conflict. Right. As a as a proxy war against Russia and Hungary in particular is one of those countries that is really not on board 100 percent with either the sanctions uh, on on uh, fossil fuels, which they say there is no substitute for for large numbers of us. And, and it's a joke to think otherwise. Uh, so we're not going to play with that. Uh, but also uh, Hungary is not transferring military equipment, for instance, to um, Ukraine. And, and because NATO operates on a consensus basis. They are preventing uh, NATO as a whole from using some of its structures to get involved. And they're not the only ones, it has to be said. And actually, Ukraine is accusing Hungary of having taken some land in Ukraine. Of, right? of wanting to take land, of, of wanting to take land. There is an ethnic Hungarian minority in southwest Ukraine um, that um, there's long been tensions between Hungary and the regime in Kiev about because what the Kiev regime has done with Russian speakers and, and ethnic Russians and Slovak East Ukrainians and East Ukraine, they have done to restrict the language, cultural and political rights of the Hungarian minority in Southwest Ukraine as well. And Hungary is not happy about that. Now, I don't think it's true. I don't think Hungary is going to cross the border and take a bite out of Ukraine. Uh, but uh, they certainly are complaining about what the Kiev regime politically and now militarily, uh, you know, with the repression has been doing in that part of Ukraine. And it has what has led to Hungary's, uh, you know, resistance, uh, its contrariness with regards to the rest of uh, NATO and the EU uh, on uh, the issue of aid uh, to the Kiev regime. And this has been a great report, Mark. You obviously know what the hell is going on over there. But let me ask you a history question. Uh, sure. I was curious about if you know the circumstances under which George Soros was originally, he was, he's persona grata in both Hungary and Moscow, in Russia. He's been thrown out. And the reason I ask this is I reported there's a, a book by a, a guy named Hunsak. Hunsak is a Ukrainian, and uh, he's an associate of Mikhail Labed, and he was working with Prologue, which is a CIA-funded 
Ukrainian front company here in the United mm -hmm. States. And Hunsack's book, he says, at the urging of his boss, the CIA-funded prologue recruited George Soros to set up International Renaissance, the NGO, in Ukraine. And it's right in his book. It's on page 83 of his memoirs. And this occurred to me that if, if he's telling the truth, and I assume he is, the CIA recruited George Soros to come in. He's admitting the CIA recruited Soros to come in. And at the time, the only places the Soros Fund was set up was Hungary and Moscow. What happened with Moscow? Do you think they had suspicions that Soros was a CIA operation? What happened there? Look, I, I don't know the particulars of this particular case, but I mean, there's no question that between the 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 large number of political operations, whether we're talking the Open Society or the New Renaissance, that Soros funds in a whole host of countries. I mean, he is an oligarch who meddles in other countries' uh, politics for his own political and geopolitical reasons. He is a big Atlanticist. And there's also no question that a lot of these operations, there's been a lot of synergy uh, and no doubt cooperation uh, on regime change, you know, color revolution type activities between these Soros organizations and, and CIA operations. I'm sure there's synergy and cooperation there. So, I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily has to be true that the CIA recruited him. I mean, he's, he's, he's pretty well, well, willing, right? And I think he's well, a it's, full partner. It's, in it's that pretty regime. stunning. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty stunning. Hunsack admits it. Hunsack blatantly comes out and says, we recruited him and he was with Prologue. Therefore, that's the CIA. So yeah. it's stunning. And I posted on SoundCloud a clip from the book, but it's page 83 of Hunsack's My Memoirs, where he comes out and says it. So I know what you're saying, but yeah. a, a friend of mine found this, and it's stunning because it's directly saying he was funded by, he was recruited, and they described the meeting and what was said. So... How did, why did Russia and when did they throw Soros out? Yeah, I, I mean, Soros has been out of the country for, for several years now. Um, I, it, Russia has long had its eye on Soros, you know, the open society, um, uh, you know, what a, they, they, they're called non governmental organizations. They're really gongos, government organized non governmental organizations, right, that, that work to uh, meddling uh, in Russian and other countries' politics. Uh, and uh, particularly after 2014, Russia started making a big effort um, uh, in response uh, to the U.S. use of uh, the uh, FARA laws uh, against foreign agents, uh, you know, uh, to then. To, to then finally kick the last of these meddling orgs, gongos, uh, out of Russia. And certainly um, the Open Society Foundations funded by Soros were one of those uh, that were kicked out. And Soros himself, uh, you know, being the oligarch responsible for such uh, meddling. Uh, unwanted meddling in Russia's political politics, uh, he was declared persona non grata uh, as well. And and Mark, uh, I, I will send you on, on Twitter 
I'll send you the quote from Hunsack's book, and you can and and a link to Hunsack's Wikipedia. He's the guy who worked directly with with Lebed and worked for yep. Prologue, and it's stunning because, like you yeah. say, a lot a lot of times we've been able to say, well, it seems like, but here's a guy saying, yes, we yeah. recruited. So it's amazing. Yeah, it's not a surprise, but it definitely sounds like something to read. Yeah, and I'm hoping I'm going to be able to do a written article on it. But you'll see, I'm it's it's right plain as day in his book, page 83. And Hunsack's book is available on Amazon in, in like a used version. It's like 40 bucks or something like that. It's expensive, but you can see it for yourself. And Hunsack is a... Ukrainian scholar who teaches at Rutgers University. This is amazing. Uh, it was an amazing find of him admitting that they recruited Soros. Mark, anything you want to say on the on the war in closing? Yeah, I, it's going to last the time, and right now it's in a grinding phase um, with the formation and starting to move on this cauldron where the bulk of the Ukrainian regular military forces uh, are in uh, East Ukraine. That's Once that is either forced to surrender or neutralize, uh, the war will continue. It's not going to be an immediate end, but certainly the writing will be on the wall. There we go, Mark Sabota. Great appearance, Mark. As usual, you're always a font of information, and you and you know how to pronounce things. So that's, you got that going for you, which is nice. Mark Sabota, straight out of Moscow. We'll be back with the backstory after a short break, and we're taking your call two zero two five two one thirteen twenty on the backstory. Back in the backstory, 105.5 FM, AM 1390. Oops, oops, AM 1320. Wait, I'm not saying it right. AM 1390. There's a couple of 13s, and it confuses me sometimes. But we are on the radio in the Washington, D.C., Virginia, and Maryland area. And Rod, Mark Zabota is a really smart guy, is he not? He knows a lot of stuff. Yeah, no. Uh, Mark takes down all the Western disinfo since we're since that's the new uh, word of the word of the month. Dis- disinfo that comes from the Western media. Mark just bats all of it down and crushes it and throws it in a trash can. And with facts, he he s- says facts and is very specific about them. And I want this war to be over, as does Russia, as do any sane people. I want this war to be over, as I've wanted. For eight years, the war to be over, and Russia's tried to negotiate the Minsk Accords. They uh, Ukraine agreed to them, but then never followed through on that. But one of the reasons is I want to ask because Mark knows so much. I'll bet he or his wife knows how to make pelmeni. Now, do you know what that is, Rod? Pelmeni? Is it a type of bread? No, it's like 
Russian tortellini is the equivalent, I would say. You follow me? It's like it's, it's a sort of sort of dumplings, but I'll, and it's quite delicious. And I'll bet he's I'll bet his wife. I'm not sure Mark cooks, but I'm sure he eats. And what they should do outside the plant where people are serving that, I thought, was Russia should airdrop smelly, delicious food. You know, for instance, a a good smelling uh, stroganoff or something like that, right outside. Because if you're serving, would it bug you to smell food? Then make oh, me yeah, surrender right away. Right away. Yeah. Right. Now, uh, by the way, we're taking your calls, 202-521-1320. Great segment with Mark, but the abortion stuff is still going on. Now, I'm going to float a theory by you, Rod, because we don't know exactly who the leaker is. But I want you to imagine if the leaker is Sonia Sotomayor, a justice of the Supreme Court. And do you remember, you've heard of Obamacare, right, Rod? Yeah, the thing, the thing that's not affordable now. Right. Now, before that ruling came out, Sotomayor had revealed some of the internal stuff. She was trying to put pressure on Roberts. I'll, I'll put it like this. She was playing the media angle Wallace Supreme Court Justice. And Sotomayor is clearly not happy about this decision. It goes, you know. So let me ask you a question. Yeah, I was, uh, I was, I, uh, me and Allison were talking about that uh, when I spoke to her earlier when I asked her to come on the show. And she brought up that fact. Because I, 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 myself, I didn't remember it. But uh, now that you bring it up as uh, as well, and I and I got to bring up something that I found out about her a couple years ago, and uh, I got to ask you if you if you had heard it, that you know there's the Bohemian Grove where all the the men, the elite men, politicians and leaders go. But did you know that the the female counterpart, which is the Belizean Grove, and which is uh, Justice Sotomayor is a part of? Very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. And the person who exposed Bohemian Grove is Alex Jones, God bless him. You've seen that footage, right, Rod? Yeah, I saw it with, with, with Al and the fire, and I forgot the British guy that was with him. I forgot his name, but he's he, he's kind of turned his back on Alex. But yeah, I, I've seen it. Yeah, and that Bohemian Grove footage shows that something people have been talking about. People have been saying there's weird stuff going on in the woods, aside from the male prostitutes and the drunk guys peeing on trees, right? They've been saying there was a, a ceremony, an owl killer, our freaking caller, gets his name from this. It's him, he's mocking it. But where they worshiped a giant owl. And that sounds too weird, right? That sounds pretty weird. But yeah, Alex. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Alex snuck into Bohemian Grove and got footage. So it's no longer a conspiracy theory. It's a fa absolute fact that they do this giant ceremony 
and involves owls, and it's weird. But Alex is the guy who did that. And uh, the fact that he took something that had been rumored for years, but sounded too weird to just accept, and he got footage of it, I think forever made Alex Jones the enemy of the elite weirdos who run so much. And am I being insulting if I call them elite weirdos? No, not at all. Not at all. I think that's a, a fitting name. And, uh... and the other guy that people like to act like they don't know this, MAGA people have been fooled for years. I've talked about this guy, Jeff Gesia. Jeff Gesia's uh, grandfather, I believe, was part of administering Bohemian Grove. And Jeff Gesia is the guy who was behind the deplorable and Jack Posobiec and Mike Cernovich. Jack's very popular on Twitter, over a million followers. And I'm pointing out that he's funded by this guy, Jeff Gesia. And Gesia made a speech at the deplorable. This is all admitted. You've heard that speech a little bit, right? Because I've played it for years. Yeah, that Jeff Gesia is, uh, I, would, well, I don't know if he calls himself, but I know he uh, is, I think he studied in the, the, in the army, in medic warfare, which is pretty much online memes. Well, he was trying to sell it. He was trying to get a company going to sell memetic warfare to NATO. He did an article at NATO Stratcom about memetic warfare, which is a fancy way of saying memes like Pepe the Frog. And he was the guy behind that. And interestingly enough, Peter Thiel is out there and he funded J.D. Vance, who won in Ohio. But Peter Thiel, I want to like. But he's behind Palatier, which is a creepy company. And uh, also, he's connected to Jeff Gesia, who who's got Bohemian Grove connections and was funding Posobiec and Cernovich. And I've talked about it before, but anybody can look this up. On my website, Populous TV, I have an article about it, if you want to look into more. When we come back, taking calls, 202-521-1320. And we have Allison Hayden, candidate against Eric Solwell, coming up right after this break on The Backstory. and live from the empire of lies and just outside the matrix. The matrix being the web of false information that you're force fed every day. That's what I'm talking about there. It's time for the show, the second hour of the show today on a Wednesday that brings you the truth behind the headlines and obscure stuff that you don't learn anywhere else. I'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan. This is the backstory. I will sing the praises. I won't actually sing. Don't worry, Rod. I'm not 
Nina Jankowicz. Don't don't worry. I will not actually sing, but I will sing sing the praises of Mark's devote again. Great appearance by Mark. And uh, if you want to learn the real skinny on what's going on in this Ukrainian-Russian war, Mark Sabota is one of the guys, along with Scott Ritter, we are honored to have on the show. Guys who, Mark was saying before the conflict, a conflict is coming. He could tell that Ukraine doesn't want to negotiate. You, by negotiate, I mean, Ukraine doesn't want to stop killing Russians. That's what violating the Minsk Accords, it's not academic. By violating the Minsk Accords, they kept killing Russians and Russian speakers and people who liked Russia and people who owned one of those little dolls that's in a doll in it all. But Ukraine was not going to negotiate and not going to stop killing Russian speakers and carry on a war at the U.S. behest against Russia and against Russian speakers and ethnic Russians in Ukraine. And Mark called that right. And a great segment by him. Coming up, Allison Hayden. She's the candidate for Congress in California, Northern California. And Rod, you know who she's up against, right? Yeah, Mr. Eric Swalwell from the Democrat now, side. Eric Swalwell, I, I don't remember, because during the primary, there were so many Democrats running. Eric Swalwell, is he the, the gay one, or is he the one who was, who was banging the Chinese spy? Chinese spy. He was the one with the Chinese spy, and the, I think they were riding a camel in some other country, some Middle Eastern country, and pictured with. You can see why it would confuse him, because you know practically that that was it. It was he. The, Boonjeg was the gay one, but and and they basically Boonjeg's claim to fame was not his accomplishments, but being the gay one. And that's not why I'm, you know, they didn't hide the fact that he was gay. They used it to his advantage, because he's a white guy, but because he's into dudes, he could fit in under the Democratic tent. That's a big tent. You following me? So we'll be talking about her running against Swalwell. And Swalwell also, Eric Swalwell was talking about, I don't know if you remember this, but when Neil Gorsuch was the nominee for Supreme Court Justice, he came out right away against him. So we'll talk to Allison about that coming up. And taking your calls at 202-521-1320 on The Backstory. And I'm, am I being unfair in some way to... Uh, Pete Boonjeg's accomplishments when I say his main claim to fame was he was a gay one. Am I am I yeah, missing no, no, his no. big big accomplishments? No, that's how they were selling him Mayor Pete from South Bend. Uh you know, South Bend's famous for the University of Notre Dame. And uh no, you know, the funny thing was they were when they were doing uh 
the the political ads over there, and they were filming. He went he went against he went in front of uh, some of the uh, black South Bend citizens, and they were you know they were asking him questions, and he couldn't answer any of their questions. He just got frustrated and just left. But then you know CNN right right after that promoted him as this you know as as, as the black citizens love him this that and the third. So that's what I remember from that. Right. His nickname was the Gay White Hope. And by the way, his nickname, that was his nickname that I just made up. But I think it's pretty good. Don't you think so? Because, again, he's a, wh- he's a white guy who the Democrats don't like normally. We heard that a little bit yesterday with Joel Siegel, who's a great friend of the show. But he immediately came out. See, Tucker Carlson, the New York Times went after Tucker Carlson recently. You noticed that? And they said, did you know that Tucker Carlson is the most popular nighttime host in the history of TV news? Ever. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that until you just told me. Uh, the, what I thought what you were going to say is he, that he's the most racist, because that's what that's what the New York Times was saying, that he's the most racist cable time, cable time TV host. Well, the... the the New York Times reported both of them. I saw a segment with a writer, and he said he's the most popular host in history and the most racist, which apparently racism is popular. And he's saying— Yeah, racism is racism's back, baby. <laughs> no, no, right. And, and it was a hit. But did you see the picture Tucker posted on Twitter of him holding the newspaper article? He posted yeah. a picture of himself with a New York Times article. And all I can say is it looked like – Imagine have you ever seen a kid who at Christmas got exactly the present they wanted from Santa? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, and that's the way Tucker looked because all they have, all the Democrats have in a lot of cases is accusations of racism. That's it. And, you know, they find ways to get around their hypocrisy on that because up, it's why I asked Jason Goodman yesterday when he was at the protests in New York. There were a lot of white guys out there protesting in favor of Roe v. Wade. And if the principle is if you don't have a womb, if you don't have a uterus, shut up about abortion. That seems to be their argument. But it's really, if you don't have a uterus, and even if you do, if you're pro-life, shut up. And if you don't have a uterus and you're pro-choice, then you can keep talking. You notice that they never say a white justice who is in favor of abortion has no right to state their opinion. Only people who, and and, uh, let me say this too. We'll talk about some of this stuff with Allison. What was leaked was that Roe v. Wade, it's like to be overturned. I'm going to say that will not make abortion, we pointed this out, but it needs to be pointed out again and again. That does not make abortion illegal in the United States. Right, Rod? 
Yeah, no, this this just this is just like the uh, don't say gay bill. Like it's that's not what's in the bill. You know what I'm saying? That that they, they just repeat the propaganda over and over again. But that's not what's you know that's not what's going to happen. When Anna from Young Turks was freaking the f out, one of the things Jenks said was, he said if you have to go to, he said rich people don't care about this because they can just go to Paris. And apparently he meant Paris, New York, or Paris, California. Do you think there's any way abortion's going to be illegal in California or New York anytime soon? No, no. So I don't, I don't, you know, but, but, but that's why they're gaslighting these people, you know, like with Elizabeth Warren, look like she's about to faint, <laughs> trying to make herself so angry. Uh, and what, you know, it's just, it's just craziness. No, and we'll play that clip later of her getting hysterical, which is potentially sexist. Because you know the root of the word hysterical is the same as the root of the word hysteria. Or hysterectomy. Right? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, hysterectomy. Well, listen. I I know what a hysterectomy is, but I didn't know that that's (laughs) the word... word, uh, the word originated from, but uh, I can see yeah. why, why, why now we're both sexist after that. Right. If you call someone hysterical, you're saying their lady parts made them crazy, basically. And that's established science. Okay, but that, anyway, that's the rule of the word. And I'm using it against Elizabeth Warren. And you'll hear that later in the show where the non-hysterical woman, Allison Hayden, a candidate up in Northern California. Now... Who's two five two two oh two five two one thirteen twenty? Tarif, you're on the line. What's on your mind? I have three comments. Okay, thanks for taking my call. I have three comments. First, I'd like to say um, free drone science, and also like to remind people that I'm a VA whistleblower. Hopefully, one day I will testify in front of Congress and expose a whole bunch of people, and those people will go to jail. Hopefully. Okay, my first comment is this. Ukrainian banking system, they, um, they're starting to mess with, um, they're starting to, um, the currency is um, devaluating. It's, um, they're they doing like an economic evacuation. They're moving money around, things of that nature. And um, they're charging people 40% on loans and stuff like that. And it's getting worse and worse, and people starting to use the American dollar what all uh, the currency going to collapse. That's serious. My second comment is dealing with the, in the U S the national, um, the national association of realtors stated that the home borrowers affordability index dropped to its lowest since 2008. Everybody needs to remember what happened in 2008. You had the housing market crash. So we could be right around the corner to a second housing market crash again. But third comment is two parts I got to make my third comment. Okay. Articles came out from the Times of Israel stating, and also I saw a video where you have ex-Israeli commandos, IDF troops. Ex-IDF troops is fighting in Ukraine alongside the Ukrainian military and also reports of uh, uh, fighting alongside the Azov's battalion against Russians. And um, training um, the Ukrainian military as well. 
uh, Richard Manhurst um, tweeted out something. Also, auto came out from the credo, the credo as well. Dot co. Okay, diplomatic sources confirmed that a mass delegation just arrived in Moscow for talks with Russia to discuss Israel attacks on holy sites such as mosques, churches, and worshipers. Russia's support for the Palestinian cause. And um, um, the last relationship between Russia and the resistance axis. I think Russia is um, starting to send a um, message to Israel, you know, dealing with what's going on in the Middle East and what's going on in um, Ukraine. Thank you for taking my call. I appreciate that. Thanks, Trey, for a number of great points, as usual. 202-521. 1320, if you want to call, we got a few minutes before Allison Hayden is coming on, a congressional candidate who's taking on Eric Swalwell up in Northern California. That's going to be a great segment she's been on before. And we'll be talking about Roe versus Wade, among other things. Now, uh, so, so you say you were talking to her. Let me ask a question. If, if Sotomayor was a leaker, or was involved in the leak. I think it puts Judge Roberts in a in a bad position because if Sotomayor leaked it, I think she has to be impeached as a Supreme Court justice. Do you agree? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I do agree with you on that. If she if she does get caught or if it does come out that she's uh, involved or, or one of her, uh, staffers are involved, you know, that's how, that's how she would, uh, you, you know, say that, well, she's not directly involved, you know, that's how, that's how they try to explain this whole thing. If it does come out that she's in, you know, supposedly leaker, there was, because it was a staffer, so she's not directly involved. So shooting, she shouldn't get impeached. No, right. But, but if she was behind it, cause I've heard some people say there might not be any criminal penalty leaking this document may not have violated the law because why would it have violated the law? But on some things that, for instance, you'd have to be disbarred. That that could be one of the things that goes on. And if Sotomayor's disbarred, she, right? You can't have a Supreme Court justice who's disbarred. So, Roberts knows and that if he suspects that Sotomayor may have been behind it or involved in it, he's got a problem. And the bigger problem is if a Supreme Court justice is possibly behind this, the Supreme Court can't investigate it. Does that make sense, Rod? Right. Yeah, it's just like the FBI investigating itself. It's you know they're not gonna they're not gonna hold totally hold themselves accountable. Right, and there's a conflict of interest. So the real problem, and I've seen no statements by Roberts so far that contradict that it a justice is involved in this, and I'm not saying she is. I'm saying. It's worth thinking about if she is what that means. Does it mean that she's impeached? And if so, 
a lot of Democrats would defend her and say, we heard that yesterday with Joel Siegel. He was in favor of the leak, right? Yeah, no, it's, uh, I don't think you're mistaken that Joel said that, you know, certain times it's okay to leak, you know, if, if you feel morally or uh, whatever, if the stakes are too high. So, uh, you know, I, I agree with what you're saying in, in, in that sense. Uh, one, one thing, we have a brave on hold. And uh, two, I just wanted to bring up real quick, uh, did you see the news come by that the, uh, the the computer shop owner who got the Hunter Biden laptop is suing Adam Schiff, CNN, and a few other people, organizations and people? That's great. I'm, I'm, I think that kind of legal action is important. Let's go to the calls. Our friend Brave, 202-521-13, joining. Brave, what is on your mind? What's up, what's up man? Um, uh, three points really quickly, if I can make it first. Um, the shop owner that's, that's suing Schiff and the rest of them, I'm so excited about that. I'm, I'm really happy to, to see somebody take it like CNN and the rest of those guys have been lying all of this all of this time and getting away with it. Uh, second point on the, um, the the leak from uh, from SCOTUS, I think that uh, I have absolutely nothing to back it up. It's totally conspiracy theory. I have my aluminum wave aluminum foil wave cap on, but I think that um, that was a Democratic operative. And uh, I'm sounding like a Republican right now. Trust me, I am not. But I think that that was a, uh, a Democratic operative. A Democrat operative, operative. and um, my third point. Yesterday, um, you had Scotty on, and she raised a point that I quite enjoy using myself, um, which is uh, which is the um, point of uh, free, uh, of the, the Democrats losing the the, the stance on uh, my body, my choice because of their arguments concerning the uh, mass mandates, but more specifically, the uh, or more importantly, the, um, the the vaccine mandates. The only problem with that is that uh, Republicans use that. Ar- Republicans kind of lose on that argument as well, because in order for the uh, Republicans to make that argument, which was very funny to me, they were actually making my body, my choice arguments during COVID to make that point. I thought it was really funny. I still enjoyed it as, a, as an independent myself. I was able to use it, to, use it with, with like just have a ball because you can't hit me either way because I'm all good with pro-choice and I do believe that's my body by choice for all Americans. And that's all I had to say. No, brave, great call. And as I said yesterday, you had a great call yesterday. I don't defend Republicans as a party on this. Republicans use the abortion issue to raise funds. And I've said before, if their goal was to protect babies, there's better ways to do it. But they raise funds with it. They send out a mailer saying that they're pro-life. And that's why we get some hypocritical Republicans. Now, libertarians would be the ones who could make the argument, your body, your choice, more consistently, but some libertarians, there's no, and this is why I like libertarians, there's no position on abortion that satisfies all libertarians. Have you noticed that, Rod? Libertarians have a wide variety. Some are pro-choice and some are pro-life. You notice that? Yeah, I've seen that over the years. I've seen that again. 
that debate amongst libertarians. And uh, like you said, they're on either they're on both spectrums. It never gets from what I've seen. It never gets too hostile. Might get a little heated, but it doesn't get any you know uh, you know fighting, any physical altercation, you know name calls or anything like that. But you know people people are uh, feel strongly about their positions uh, on the Libertarian Party, but you know, still stay within the Libertarian Party. The best way to describe libertarian position is they're agnostics on abortion. In other words, like in theology, the agnostic position is not that there's no God, and it's not that there is a God, definitely. It's that we're not going to resolve this. It's a little more complex than that. But on abortion, do you think it's fair to call libertarians agnostic? They largely, that's why I think it, doesn't get too heated because they're like, we're never going to resolve this. And it should not be, the government should be as little involved as possible. And what this Roe versus Wade decision actually does is it's, it, it, overturning Roe v. Wade is not that there's one national position on abortion. And I'm kind of okay with that. I think the citizens of South Dakota or Texas can have a different position than citizens in New York or California. I think that's fine. But the Democrats and a lot of Republicans seem to want to have one national answer on it. Is that your understanding of Roe versus Wade, Rod? Yeah, no, that's my understanding as well, that this is going to go back to the states, this is going to be a states' rights issue, and uh, you know some states are going to, you know, uh, ban abortion. They're going to make it, uh, you know, as as illegal as possible, I guess, or you know, try to limit it. Let me not let's say that, but they're trying to limit it as much as possible. And then you're going to have other states like California are going to uh, try and uh, unlimit it as possible, just you know, as many abortions as possible, and up to whatever extent, you know, that it becomes uh, murder. Because, you know, once it's abortion up to birth, I mean, what, what, do you, what do you call that? You know what I'm saying? In fact, is your house and Hayden on the line, Command Central? Okay. When we have Allison Hayden on, did you see that California, someone's proposing a law that anyone who wants an abortion can go to California and it'll be state-funded? Did you see that? Did you see that, Ron? No, I hadn't seen that up until uh, up until you told me that, which is that sounds even crazy. Yes. So, you know, states have nicknames, and they have them on their license plate, right? You've seen that. I guess the motto of California is going to be the abortion state, and I thought of this too, by. Being in favor of killing babies, the Democrats, they might have more votes if they not killed so many liberal babies, but they don't see the contradiction there. That That's hurt their electoral chances, I would say. You're kind of taking your voters out of the game. They just use nope. the vote. They just use the vote by mail. They just, you know, they just make. They just say, well, this person would have voted Democrat anyway, so we'll just make a ballot for them. And also, I I didn't state this point particularly. I I not articulated it well, but my point yesterday was the debate about 
first trimester versus third trimester, it's still you. You are a person. You now are a person. And I think about my friend Andrew Breitbart. He was adopted, okay? If he'd been aborted in the third trimester, Andrew Breitbart would not be alive. And if he'd been appointed in the first trimester, Andrew Breitbart would not be alive. It's the same him. Does that make sense at all, Rod? Yes, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, and I, I see a, a lot of people act like the first trimester, all, all that's going on is in the first trimester, you're, you're most vulnerable. So saying it's really what it comes down to is just saying it's okay to do when your guard is down. It's to me, I've been seeing it, you know, uh, and I think some people have been coming to see it now too, is uh, culturally it's a responsibility thing. And, and, and the extreme left want to remove all responsibility from, they don't want any laws, you know, so crime, any crimes, you know, they don't, they don't believe in prisons and stuff like that. So, you know, there's responsibility and uh, get intimate with somebody, get intercourse. And then, you know, a baby, you know, you conceive a baby. And if you just keep ending it, then you remove any responsibility. Right. And, and, and that's what a lot of people miss because Republicans get accused of hypocrisy on this because trending on Twitter was a quote from Carlin saying, pro-life conservatives, they don't care anything about you after you're born. They only care about you before you're born. And that's not true. Republicans vote in favor of welfare and they vote in favor of all kinds of free stuff. So they do care about you. But I pointed out that Democrats who want to give you free daycare and free college and extended voting hours, they still want to kill you. So I, I, they, they try to make it like it's a hypocritical position being in favor of people being responsible. And I often talk about things that people ignore. And Anna from the Young Turks, part of what she was freaking out is she was screaming, what about these women who want to work? Well, adoption, that's an option. You don't have to keep the baby. You don't have to raise the baby. Maybe saying you don't have the option of killing a baby. There are other options. And uh, they never that never occurs to them. In fact, if you suggest that, she would talk about what a pain it is that she even has to give birth. Well, actions have consequences. And just because it's a pain in the ass for you, and probably not that surprised there'll be a pain in, but uh, it's not a good argument. It's very obvious that the arguments against abortion are fundamentally emotional. And I'd say that's true largely on the Republican side because emotion is a way to get donations in. So, you know, I, I, I view this issue more, I look at it, I was pro-choice. And then once I'd had a bunch of kids, I realized that I have all these kids and I wouldn't have aborted any of them. 
right? And that was my practical thing. And I see lots of people, by the way, who are women. I've talked to lots of women. They may be pro-choice early in life, and they may have even had an abortion. But something about having a kid changes their perspective because they go, well, I could have awarded little Billy or whoever, but I wouldn't have done that. And I realized that me personally, I'm practically pro-life. I, if, if I got someone pregnant, I wouldn't have an abortion just because it, it's not convenient for me. In fact, who knows? I, I'm not dead yet. And it's possible Dan and I will have a kid someday. Uh, my health willing. And so if she became pregnant today, I would not say, well, let me take you to the clinic. And I, I, by the way, I find that pretty gross. And I think most people who are parents, anybody who doesn't find that gross, who has kids, has to explain that to me. Explain that to me someday. And call on the show to talk about it. Now, let's take a short break. When we come back, Allison Hayden, candidate for Congress against Eric Swalwell in Northern California, will be joining us on The Backstory. from the Empire of Lies for the last half hour of today's show on The Backstory. We are on 105.5 FM, AM 1390 in Washington, D.C. And joining us now, Allison Hayden, candidate for Congress in Northern California. Hey, Allison, how are you doing? Great, Lee. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thanks for asking. Beautiful blue skies here (laughs) in the district. It's yeah, no, what would you say there? I said it's beautiful blue skies in the district. It's a fine spring day in California. Yeah, no, yeah, no. And and you're around the Hayward area in the district around there, which is East Bay, right? You you said it includes Alameda? It does. Yes, I, I'm in Hayward, but yes, there are a number of cities around that the district includes. Not San Leandro, but um, actually they kind of chiseled off San Ramon. But other than that, the district's pretty much the same. A little bit of Dublin as well with the redistricting. And I mentioned that, that my father grew up in that. My father grew up in Alameda and somewhat in Berkeley, in the hills of Berkeley. But my father grew up there, and and as, as growing up, I lived in that area as a teenager. So I love that area. Uh, but have you heard about this proposal for legislation that someone's made that would make California the abortion state? That anyone who wants an abortion could come to California if this passes and get their abortion there. Have you heard about that? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's worse. They'll house them and do everything. I mean, it's just incredible because, uh, you know, we're not 
a rich state these days. We've lost businesses due to their tax policies and, you know, just basic incalcitrant uh, legislature that is not uh, at all trying to work with business. So now they're trying to put all of these costs onto taxpayers. And I'm not sure where, you know, a lot of people haven't worked. I'm not sure what the real unemployment rate was through these last couple of years. So it'll be interesting to see what the budget will be, because right now, although they're claiming anywhere from $46 billion to $60 billion surplus, much of that is really fumes from capital gains. So as the market starts adjusting to the realities of America, I think that, um, I'm, you know, all of this promising, you know, I just don't know where they're going to find the money to fund it. And it seems like a... There's no upper limit. They're not saying we'll pay for the first 1000 It's whoever wants to take advantage of that, right? Yeah, and so you know they're going to float from all over the, the country, all the neighboring states that have stricter you know, limits on abortion. And it's, it's, it, it's weird. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, not... Not all states. It, it won't really hurt California. I mean, as far as the Constitution goes, um, we're this whole thing with the with the leak from the from the Supreme Court. It really is a return to the Constitution because the Fourteenth Amendment guarantees life. Let me just pull it up here and let and read that little portion. But it's so this this is a, a really wonderful thing, I think, because